All right, what's going on, guys? We're live now. I'm doing my Q&A. This is my first Q&A on a Friday, and I'm excited. I've got some questions already. I'm uh, excited to answer whatever else I can answer for anybody here. Welcome to the show. This is the John Papaloni Show. And let's see. I'm just trying to see who is on. I've got uh, my uh, buddy here assisting me, looking for questions and stuff as well. So this is exciting. And yes, I am online. I can see that. And very good. Very good. All right. So rather than wasting any time, I'm going to get into the questions right now. And uh, welcome, you know, once again, welcome to those who uh, just logged on and came to see the show. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to get into the first question, which was uh, from a colleague of mine who asked me earlier this week, and I saved it. And one of the questions was, has there been any success stories with rent to owns? Now, this actually became a topic in our little uh, realtor group that we have on WhatsApp that uh, a lot of people were asking about rent to own. So it's kind of a convenient question right now. And the answer is yes, there has been success stories with rent to own. Now, the thing is, obviously, we're in a very hot market right now. So rent to own in general, um, in terms of the in terms of the homeowner getting involved, that's not so common now, especially uh, since they can uh, you know, flip it right away with someone who doesn't have to rent to own and just get the money right away and out the door they go. But it's become an option for a lot of investors, a lot of investors who don't want to be in the market for more than five years and they're tied to that number, but they do want to get into uh, a home and have some form of guaranteed exit. And that's where rent to own comes in through the investors. So the way it would work is that pretend uh, Bob wants to buy a house, but he doesn't have the down payment right now. So he's forced to rent and we're going to use the magic number of 500,000 for the home that he's looking for. So what happened is uh, we're going to get Jeff, who's the investor. And what happens is Jeff would get the down payment, put it on the house. The the house would be in Jeff's name and he would put on his down payment and get his own mortgage. Then the market rate for that 500,000, we're going to pretend is 1500. I mean, I'm using arbitrary numbers because I want to just be clean and simple rather than getting exact. So uh, Market rent is $1,500. And so, you know, Bob would pay uh, Jeff $1,500 for the um, for the rent, but he would pay just say an additional $1,500 towards the uh, rent to own part, which so his monthly rent would be $3,000. And what would happen is $1,500 a month would tabulate um, towards his down payment over that five-year plan. So that's about $18,000 a year. Over five years, is $50,000, $90,000 down now he has. So what happens is, he's, you know, Jeff has made the $1,500 a month rent. That's his to keep. The $1,500 that, you know, extra goes towards the down payment. So now he uses that down payment that he collected towards that, uh, towards the house sale that the, um, Go to, to you know, basically, what do you call it? What's, I think I said Bob is his name. Bob would go to get his own mortgage now for the balance of the 90K. And then he would close and the land would uh, transfer. Now, the way it would work is it's not that for the same 500000 obviously. Um, now, there's two options. They can agree that they're going to buy it at market value, which could be whatever it is in five years. Now, the bonus could be, that for the investors that if it's gone up, just say 10% per year, or even say for math, 10% total. Now he would collect 550 
for that $500,000 home. Plus he's been collecting the $1,500 a month all along. So he would get the money that way, or they can have a, a, but the downside would be that if the market went down, if it took a dip, which is always possible, now I'd be selling it at 475 as an example, because that's what they would agree to, whatever the market value is. But a lot of times in this circumstance, the uh, investor wants a guaranteed rate, and we're going to pretend it's 5.5% per year. And again, we're going to argue that that 5.5% just says 530,000 after the five years. I know my math doesn't make sense, but I'm just giving you an example, so it doesn't matter. Um, So he didn't get the 550 that it could have been, but he got 530. So he's guaranteed the profit for doing this. Plus, he's guaranteed the rent. Now, the downsides of this is that in five years, when it's time to sell it, if Bob does not have the ability to get the mortgage, then Jeff has the ability to evict him so he could sell it to anyone who can afford it. And in terms of the 90K, if I'm not mistaken, because it's been a while since I looked at that, you lose the 90K as well. You don't get it back. So that's the danger. So getting into a rent-to-own, you have to be sure that this is what you're going to do and you can get the mortgage. Usually a lot of times you would get into that is you did not have the down payment for whatever reason, whatever financial obligation you had in the past, you didn't save it, and now, but you know you can qualify for the mortgage if you had the down payment. That's usually a scenario would use it. It is more expensive to do and usually not advisable, but if you're stuck and you're going to rent but you want to own, it may be a viable option if you can find the investors willing to put in. So again, it is risky because you could lose it. So you may end up paying more as rent for nothing. So you got to judge it. I'm not here to judge uh, you or anyone else who wants to do it. It's just a matter of choice of whether you want to do it or not do it. It's a personal decision. So, and again, the other risk is if you don't do it, the market can out beat you. So if you could qualify for 500,000 with a down payment and in five years, it goes to 650, but you don't qualify for 650. You, you know, waiting out the market you've lost as well. You got to balance your options and take your choice. So that has been how rent to own works. And there has been a few success stories. It's not very common, but it does happen. A second question I get is how much money should I set aside for closing costs? So where I'm going to go with this is I'm going to use the $500,000 example because it's just easy math. So we have 500,000. Now you have to figure out where you live because that's going to make a difference. So Toronto, you're going to pay a provincial uh, land transfer tax and a municipal land transfer tax. Where um, if you're just outside of the GTA, at least right now, you're only going to pay the provincial, not the municipal. So on 500,000, the um, we're going to use inside the GTA just for the sake of it, you would pay 6475 for provincial, 6475 for municipal. And it's based on a percentage. And I'm not exactly sure what the percentage is. I got calculators for this, I'm, you know, being straight up. Um, now you're going to look for a lawyer. And a lawyer is going to cost you roughly between $1,000 and $2,500, depending on it. I mean, usually with that uh, price, it's going to include... Uh, it's going to include uh, title insurance, which is recommended that you get it in case something happens. So now a lot of times, you know, 
you don't have to take the title insurance, but it should something happen and that affects title, you're on the hook. If you have title insurance, the insurance covers it all. So it's recommended. And, and out of that 2000 bucks or 1500 bucks, title insurance usually represents around 400 roughly. Don't quote me. Roughly. It's not a big amount considering how much you're paying into the house. And title insurance doesn't matter how much you pay for the house. It's the same either way. Um, then you're going to have a closing adjustments, um, such as taxes, utilities, and uh, maybe maintenance fees if you're buying a condo. Um, such as uh, what, how, what that means is, for example, pretend you're closing July 15th. The uh, previous owner has paid all the bills up to July uh, 30th, as an example. So you've got to get that 15 days is going to get prorated to your purchase price because why would he pay for your bills once he's moved out? And like vice versa, if you sell the home, it's the same. So, and if he's paid taxes till September, you're going to have to pay the balance of that. The lawyer will make the adjustments and let you know what that is. So now I'm going to go to a Facebook question and, um, goes, uh, what is the pre-construction process? If my client receives an allocation, what is the process for getting him or her the unit? Oh, that is a great question. Okay. So basically, uh, you know, you obviously you've done your worksheet. You've got, um, uh, they've told you that you're accepted. What's going to happen is you're going to get a bunch of builder uh, contracts to get filled in and at the, they're going to fill it in. It's going to have all the terms of, of, you know, that the builders want. And they're usually quite extensive. I mean, our uh, realtor pages are like what, 15 pages. The builders are going to be like 160. It's ridiculously big. Um, so what ends up happening is you're going to, your client's going to go through it, fill it in. You're probably going to go through it with them. You're going to want to shoot yourself by the time you read all those pages because dear God, it's daunting. Um, the benefit is you're going to get 10 days from once everything is signed you're going to get 10 days to be able to review it with your lawyer. And, and, and then that in that 10 days, you can decide whether you want to proceed or whether you want to withdraw the, from the offer. You're also going to get the ability to uh, request changes from the builder. Now, often they're not going to change, especially in a hot market. But, but the suggested thing is make five changes. They'll usually accept two. And, and usually the ones they accept it is when it comes down to assignments. So, and for those who don't know what an assignment is, is when you purchase a pre-construction condo or townhouse or detached, whichever, what ends up happening is you cannot typically just, if you can't close for whatever, just say a closing date is in two years and you can't close. What ends up happening is that if you're not allowed to assign it, you're going to get stuck where if you're allowed to assign it, then what ends up happening is you can find someone to take place of that contract for you and you can take the profit from the difference of when you bought it and when it closes. Now, what ends up happening is a lot of builders don't allow assignments. Some do allow assignments and some most, most want to charge for assignments. So some of the things they allow you to negotiate is the assignment fee. Now, sometimes that could be anywhere between five and $10,000. They, they usually will negotiate that and include that for free, usually. The other thing is they want, you want to cap charges. A lot of times they have their development charges in there. And one of them, as an example, if they renew their mortgage or have to up their mortgage, they have mortgage fees. A lot of builders have been putting that on the, um, on the uh, purchaser to pay their fees, even though it's not the purchaser's mortgage, they send the fees to them. So, and on top of that, for the, uh, for the, oh, what do you call it? When they're um, digging, you know what I mean? They're digging and installing the water and stuff. If they have to do adjustments and there's fees and they have to pay, they pass on those fees. So the development charges are there as well. You can request that they have those uh, development charges capped. Those are usually the things that they uh, adjust on and, and they work with. But again, you always shoot for the moon and take whatever you can get. Now, the key thing here is once they accept your offer, 
they're going to want the initial $5,000 down immediately. Like it's quick as you can get it there. So what happens is usually down on signing of the papers, you deliver the uh, check to them, which is 5,000 bucks. You're going to have post dated checks for everything. So it's not like you're giving checks every single time and you're going to go back and forth and no, no, no. You have to have all the checks pre-written and post dated. So $5,000 is usually on signing. The balance of 5% is usually within 30 days. Usually within 120, they take another 5% from that. And then the rest is negotiated or they'll give you the schedule of what they want. And the reason they do it this way is because they're actually getting loans against your deposit. And therefore, the more they collect and certain times, they're going to need it for construction loans because believe it or not, construction loans are one of the hardest loans to get. So if they don't take the money from you and they run out of money, they're, uh, they're paused. There's nothing they can do. So they need those deposits and it's held in a lawyer's trust account. And usually that's the other thing that happens. Once you get the uh, a deal and you write the checks, you're not writing the checks to the builder. You're writing it to their uh, lawyer. So that's the next part of it, like with the checks. And from that point in time, you're after the 10 days where you have to do your due diligence and uh, check out the area and stuff like that. And, you know, check out the agreements and everything's okay. The mortgage mortgage has to get approved. Um, it's not like the past where somebody, uh, the banks used to just say, yeah, he can afford it. They're actually going to go in there and see if you actually qualify as of today. So they're actually, you know, they're going to ding your credit and check now. Or before they used to just look at the numbers and say, yeah, it would work. We're going to the next level for that. So now they're actually going to prove you as if you're buying the house today. So that'll be a part of it. Once that's clear and you got the clear from the lawyer, then now that becomes the firm deal. And pretty much you're just waiting it out and following the schedule as they give it to you. There will be a point in time where they're going to, you're going to pick your designs and then you're going to have the opportunity at that point in time to pick your upgrades and, and upgrades are not part of the down payment schedule. You're going to have to bring a check if you're doing upgrades. So you're going to pick your upgrades. They're going to give you the price. You're going to write the check that day. They're going to uh, put it into the system. They're going to cash your check and they'll do the upgrades. If you want everything standards, there won't be any upgrade fees, but you still get to choose your design if you're buying in phase one. If you're buying when they've already started building, chances are they've picked everything. You're going to get what you're going to get, and that's that. You can do the changes after on your own. So that's pretty much how new construction works. In terms of a realtor thing, um, other than um, once it's on final and stuff, you're doing pretty much nothing till the end. So you've done all your paperwork, you're at the end of it during closing date, that's, uh, you know, you're going to keep in touch with your clients and uh, make sure they got everything they need and give them all the support. And that's pretty much as far as it goes with new construction. And let's see, do we have any other questions? Um, yeah, uh, we do. I have, I'm going to go into a affordability. Yes, that's, I'm going to answer the one that I got asked earlier um affordability i'm going to use two different scenarios to get into it things have changed now as we all know and we've heard about this magic uh stress test and as we heard about that we are um how does it affect us some people a lot so not some people not so much i'm going to give you an example a scenario of uh what the affordability is today so scenario one is going to be where someone has eighty thousand dollars and they have a 30 year term. Now I want to mention when you do a 30 year term on a mortgage, 20% uh, is mandatory. You don't have another option. It's the only choice. So if you don't have 20%, 25 years is the max you can get. So on a 30 year term with eight, it would be $80,000 down. 
the um, 400,000 is going to be the maximum you can get with a five-year fixed rate at 1.75. And I did this based on a $65,000 a year income. So obviously that's going to double if there's two of you making 65,000, et cetera. But I mean, I'll be here all day if I go through every uh, possible scenario. So I'm giving you like everything I'm giving you now is based on 65K and that's the 80,000 down payment. Now pretend you only have 50,000. Does that mean you can't buy? Sure you can buy. Absolutely. Um, with $50,000 down, that's going to be technically, I did it based on a 15% down, 25 year term. Um, the max you're going to get is $338,281 on a fixed term. Now the catch with the, um, with this scenario is because you're under 20%, you're going to have to pay the CHMC uh, insurance and that comes into play. And the cost on this scenario is about 8,937. Now you can take, you can tack that onto the mortgage or you can pay that separately in cash. That's going to be totally up to you. Obviously, if you pay that separately, that eats into the deposit you made. So then the number of like the equity level is obviously lower in that scenario. So now I'm going to go for one Let's go for one more uh, question directly to home buyers and sellers. And it's, uh, should I buy in the city or look towards the suburbs? Now, that's a very interesting question. And there's no real wrong answer. It also depends on you. Now, I'll give you an example. If you live in London and you have a, uh, you want to invest in Toronto, that is possible. But imagine having to maintain the home or you have to go there for whatever reason. That means you're driving to, from London to Toronto on a regular basis. Got to, If you're paying collecting checks, they don't mail out the checks. You have to go pick it up. That's a drive all the time. Now, if you're working in Toronto and you're driving there, not a big deal. But my, my general scenario is I like to be close to my investment properties. Now, I'm not saying I want to be neighbors, uh, you know what I mean? But I want to be at least within 30 minutes, but that's just a personal preference. It doesn't mean you have to do that. It's total choice. Now, there's a pro of being in the city, which means the a lot of times, for example, even take immigration. Immigration comes in. They're not going to come from Toronto Pearson Airport and say, hey, I've heard of a place called um, Timmins. I want to go there. Typically, they don't know that because worldwide, they're going to be, Toronto is going to be known. It's a brand name. So people coming in is always going to think Toronto. I was, when you say city, you generally, generally, typically think Toronto. You don't think Hamilton. Now, Hamilton is a city. I'm not knocking it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is generally when you're moving in from, from another city and you're coming in and you think uh, Ontario, you think Toronto. So obviously cities are going to have a uh, greater demand more frequently. So the downside is you're going to pay more to be in the city. And in terms of rent, they will adjust based on the purchase price, but percentage-wise, it's not always the same. So as an example, if you pay 500000 that magic number I've been using, and $500,000 downtown, and you're getting $2,000 rent. Now, when you go to Hamilton, as an example, you might get, the, and you might pay $400,000 for, uh, for the home. Does that mean rent is going to go down by the same percentage? No. The rent on Hamilton might still be 1800 So you paid less and you got more rent on a percentage-wise. That's not always the case. A lot of times what ends up happening is even when you go into the city, you're paying more and you're collecting almost the same rent in some scenarios. You got to check it out and do your uh, research. If you're not a realtor, your realtor will be able to help you with that. And if they uh, don't know what, they're, what the answer is to that, find another realtor because that's something they should know. It's called due diligence. 
And that's a, one of the benefits of using a realtor. So you got to look at opportunities versus, you know, availability. Uh, again, also, where are the people going? Now, during COVID, a lot of people sold their Toronto condos and they moved west and they moved west to buy land because land is always, you know, short and always in demand. Now, sometimes people want that. It's again, you got to look what's important to you. The benefit of a condo is the condo has a uh, maintenance, uh, you know, company already, a property management company. So there's a lot of things you don't have to worry about. It's less maintenance on you, less stress, less worry. You just continue doing what you're doing. And very few times do you have to worry about that. That London scenario where you rent in Toronto and you and you uh, live in London, condos are probably a great opportunity because there's less requirements on you. Where if you live 20 minutes down the road, you could buy a house and rent it out because it's not that big of a drive, not that big of a deal. Again, what are you comfortable with? Again, Toronto, higher cost to get in, but it has a little bit more demand. Now you can go west and still collect great rent, lower cost to get in. Also, appreciation isn't going to be as high. When when Toronto goes up 10%, even if it goes up the same 10% west, 10% of a million is still a lot more than 10% of 500,000. Any way you turn it around. So what are you comfortable in? Now, if your choices are, I'm going to wait another year to buy in Toronto because I want to be in Toronto versus I'll buy out. And uh, Niagara right now, I'm just using arbitrary places. I'm going to buy a Niagara right now um, versus waiting another year. That's a smarter move. If you got to wait, because what happens is whatever you think you're saving, you're going to lose on the inflation. So you're better off to buy today wherever you can buy. doesn't matter. And then even if you hold it for two, three years, flip it, then go to Toronto and use the extra down payment you got from that. That's a better option. Um, so city or suburbs, it's a personal choice. City, more than likely, you're getting less property or, you know, even a condo, you may be in the air where the suburbs, you could probably get more property for the same amount of money, roughly. Personal choice. I've done both. So that being said, now investment options. So I kind of answered this where it says investment options. Should I get a condo or a house as an investment property? Again, how much are you willing to put in? I mean, how much effort? Uh, condos are virtually maintenance. Main, maintenance free because it's done by the property management. Now there's benefits to getting a bungalow as an example. You get a bungalow and you uh, make it legal, like a legal, you know, for to rent upstairs and downstairs. You have two different rentals. One stops paying and moves out. You haven't lost all your income. You're not reliant on the mortgage just by yourself. Where if you're in a condo and you lose the tenant for three months, that's three months of not collecting and you're paying the bills even though you're not collecting. Get the bungalow, you pay a little bit higher, sure. But chances of two people leaving at the same time are minimal. Again, anything is possible, but we're mitigating risks here. So I like to do the whole duplex thing. I like the whole bungalow where you can have up and downstairs rented separately. A little bit more work because you got two people complaining, they got to watch out for each other. But hey, you know what? Less risk for the same output, basically. So I've gotten that and how much money should I set aside? Any success, rent, affordability, I've done that. For, okay, so I'm going to get into CRMs for realtors. Um, another common question I get is, which is the best CRM to use, The or to get? The answer is whichever one you're going to use. It's really that simple. So like everyone has different options, different things, and you got to decide what works for you. 
like as with Royal Page, I'm um, we got something called RLP Sphere. It's off the KV Core platform, and I personally don't use it. But there's nothing wrong with it. I don't use it because I find it complicated to get into all the time. I've got two logins and like moving from one page to another page just to get in. I find that to be a pain in the butt and I don't want to do that. But I also got a system that does something different for me. I use what's called uh, kits, keep in touch systems. Now I have the one for free and I'm paying for one. Um, where I'm going with this is that I like the options of kits and I use that more. Like kits will not just do my monthly emails, which RLP sphere will as well. FYI, but so that's automated, but at the same time I get direct mail, it goes through my CRM and anybody have an address that I selected, they will mail a uh, monthly newsletter to their house. I like that feature. That's a great feature. Um, it's integrated with my website too. So when people log in and send a request, it goes right into my CRM. I just like that option. Now RLP sphere has that option too, because you get an RLP uh, website. If you want it, I have a separate website. Is what it is again options right there's i exact i exact is basically one step you know further than excel spreadsheet in my opinion again maybe i just don't know the features i'm not going to knock anything it's what are you comfortable with there's so many out there whatever one you're going to use every time you get a contact you got to be willing to just log in put it in the contact information and put a part of your database so Whatever you're going to do that with and you're comfortable to do that with and it's easy for you to do, that's the one you should use. I mean, in reality is you just want to keep track of things. You want to keep track of birthdays. You want to keep track of uh, closing dates, anniversaries. Um, how many children do uh, your clients have? Are they uh, newlyweds? Who's their partner? And you know what I mean? Like when you sent uh, listings, who, what did you send them? What are the, was the reply? Were they interested in it? Did they want to make a change? Any notes you get every time we talk to me, if I talk to you today, I got my CRM open and I'm taking notes, whether I do it on a pad or I do it directly in the CRM and I save it. So next time we talk and you're saying, oh, remember when? I'll be honest. I talked to enough people and I get enough emails. No, I'm not going to remember when. I'm going to have no damn idea what we talked about. So, I mean, I'll give you an example. I get 36,000 emails a month. No word of a lie. I can show it to you if you ever want to see it. And half the time, if I don't write something down now, see, I'll come back to it later. Nine out of 10 times I lose it. I have no idea where it went. So that being said, without the CRM, I'm a lost puppy. So again, use it. If Excel gives you all the information you want and you're able to keep on top, then use Excel. It really doesn't matter. Um, if you have Outlook and you can put it in your uh, calendar there, do that. It's whatever's going to work for you that you're going to use routinely is the best option. And um, I got another question. Which CRM do I use personally? Ah, great question. Um, I use KITS, K-I-T-S, uh, Keep in Touch System. It's uh, www.kitspak.com. It's, um, it's my favorite uh, CRM. I've tried them all. And it's the easiest one for me to use. And the integration with everything is incredible. Um, so that's the one I use. And if anybody wants a demo, feel free to reach out. I'll be glad to go through it with you. Even uh, on a Zoom, we can share a screen and I'll uh, show it to you. So my final question that I have in front of me right now, if uh, someone sends it online, I'll look. But the one I have right now is another one for realtors. What's the best way to prospect? And the answer is very simple. Through the people you know. That's the whole point of the CRM, the database. Because people want to deal with people they know, like, and trust. And that's 
basically everybody going to know is going to know you, like you, and trust you because that's why you guys are in contact. If you're not in contact, it means they don't trust you or you don't trust them. So that's not going to work. But if you're in contact, they already know you. So that's the easiest way. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I only have, I don't know anybody. Well, the reality is we all have friends, don't we? There are people, you know, friends are friends. They know. Wouldn't your friend recommend you, right? You just got to put it out there. Just saying I'm a realtor isn't going to be enough for them to want to recommend you. And I'm not saying this because I'm a genius or I'm an expert. Trust me, I learned this the hard way. When I got into the business, I thought, oh, my friends aren't buying from me. Nobody's going to buy from me. I don't know people. I did the same thing. And I went through expensive tactics to get leads. I spent big dollars. When I say big dollars, I spent a good 50 grand just on Facebook that year. And trust me, it didn't do as much as you think it did. It did jack crap. So that being said, here's another way to expand your database. You go to get a, you go to a hairdresser, talk to them, tell them what they do. I mean, a hairdresser is like a bartender. They, they're there to listen. Cause you know, if you're just sitting there getting your haircut and is pitch silent like this, it gets boring. People eventually just, when you don't talk, people feel that they have to talk. So it's going to be the same thing when you're at the barbers, hairdressers, and what ends up happening, you end up talking. Why not talk about what you're doing? Talk about, hey, I got became a realtor. This is why I became a realtor. This is what I'm doing. This is the area I'm working at. You'll find that they're going to start asking more questions and they're going to get intrigued. That your hair dryer, dryer, hairdresser, or your barber may not be in the market right now, but sometimes they talk to other people just like they talk to you. Somebody says, Yeah, I'm thinking of getting a house. Who are you? Oh, do you have a realtor? You know, I have, we have a, I have somebody who comes here that uh that um that is in real estate and it's helped a lot of people. Oh, you might get a name there. Sometimes if you're uh, regular enough there and they know you well enough, they'll allow you to put your business cards on their table there. So everyone can see it and people walk in and out. That's just simple networking from, from doing something you already do. Right. It's really that simple. And then, and that's just one example. What about you go to the bar, talk to the bartender, right? They're there to serve you. Trust me, they want their tips and they want to get you their drink. So you delay and you talk to them about real estate and you wait with their patient eyes as they're saying, okay, what are you going to order? But by the time you order, you've already given them your spiel. So now they know what you do. They're either interested or not interested, but a lot of times they'll take your business card anyways. Trust me, I do that. So again, that's building your database. You can build your database by door knocking. Go, go to each house, talk to everybody. Maybe have a contest. Maybe get involved in the local community. Have a community event, event, volunteer. Go promote the community event, and you can um, also promote yourself while you're doing that. That's just a suggestion, right? That's a way to do something for free. Now, you can get paid leads. What I mean by paid leads, like you can have a website that, that downloads leads, and you can follow up with them, but it's going to be um, very hard. Like I used Agent Locator back in the day, and I got leads from that. I had uh, 550 leads from that in about 10 months. I closed two deals from them. But notice the numbers there, 550 leads that got my listings daily. And I only closed two. So you got to think about it. That is uh, not, not a very high percentage because they don't know you. And just like direct mail outs, those work over time as well. Now, because they get everything in the mail, but a lot of times they end up in the garbage because people aren't necessarily selling at that moment. And nobody's going to look, okay, who's the local realtor when I'm not selling? Nobody cares when they're not selling. They think about it that month. On, okay, it's time to sell. Who should I call? 
They get the mail, they look at it and go, oh, who is this guy? I think I've seen this before. That could take 10 months, that could take two years, that could take five years. So again, very slow way of getting things. So a lot of referrals and people you know are the best avenue, meeting people, that's the thing. So when you get involved in community events, that's the best way to build up your database. You should be handing out business cards, at least on a bad day, one person should get your business card. On average, five or more should be getting it. And then that's just over time. So now let's see, I got more questions here. Oh, I got one more here. Okay. What's, what is one good advice for a new agent getting started? Ah, that's a great question as well. So if you're a new agent and you're getting started, first thing is first, you have to decide what is your game plan? What area do you want to work in? What is your niche market? What do you specialize in? What do you do best? What do you know best? And who can you help the most? Once you figure that out, like don't be, and I'm going to make fun of a friend of mine. I'm going to keep doing this, poor guy. Don't be uh, going to a place when you ask, um, you know, is water down part of Hamilton? If you don't know that, you shouldn't be going there. And I'm sure the person's watching that. And he's probably shaking his head at me again because I just won't let it go. But, um, <laughs> but the reality is that um, you should know the area better than anybody else, wherever you work. I'm not saying, like, for example, if you do Mississauga and just say you do Port Credit, you should know every angle of Port Credit that exists. You should know it. We should know what's opening up before the shops that are opening up know they're opening up because you should know what's going on. You should know all the developments. You should know all the uh, regulations. And I know it's a lot. Not everybody's going to know everything hundred percent, but I'll tell you, even the areas I work in, the specific areas I work in, I would say I'm at 85 to 90%, which is still pretty damn high. Now you take me to Scarborough and I might be 5%. Am I the guy for you? No. You know what I mean? I mean, I may be greedy and want it, I mean, I'm not greedy, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Like I maybe want it because, you know, it's hard when you're in commission sales, it's hard to watch money go out and not get it. It's painful, but the number one objective should be serving the clients, not serving yourself. So if you're serving the clients and you're uh, working something that you only know 5% of the market, are you really serving them or are you serving you? So once you decided where your market is, and again, it doesn't mean you can't, like you do Mississauga. You may know Oakville. Does that mean, oh, Oakville's there? I'm not going? No, of course not. If you know the area, it's okay to go. It's not, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying you should be focused and specialized on a certain area, and that's where you should become known. Like, you have a choice. Be the uh, biggest fish in a uh, small pond, or you can be a little fish in a big pond. Um, as scary as it is, you want to be the big fish because you're going to be known in an area. You're going to be known as the guy or the girl or the realtor. So it's scary because it seems like I'm only promoting the 500 houses or a thousand houses. Well, what if only 10 people sell and they sell and they only go, they don't go to me. That doesn't look very prosperous, does it? But believe me, it actually works out better. And I've made that mistake too. Trust me, when I spent money back when I started, like I said, I did Facebook ads. I did monthly mailers at a thousand bucks a month. And that was just that was just the, the mail outs. Can you imagine how much I with the print? Cause I did about 25,000 pieces a month and it got me nothing for 10 months, literally nothing. My first year, about 60 K went out the door, 60 to 70 K went out the door with not one thing. Um, I'm not saying I made zero sales in the first year, but it had nothing to do with my uh, promotions. So these are sales I would have got either way. Again, know me, like me, trust me. So 
do the advertising work it does. It just takes a long time and it takes uh, repetitiveness, consistency. Point is, it's going to take 10 months of doing uh, of, of doing wasted uh, money, wasted time, wasted everything before it clicks in. And when it clicks in, it's going to click in slowly. So it's over time. So you, my best way in terms of investing into uh, paid ads is wait till you get your first commission. Take about 25% of your commission after you've paid your expenses. Take 25% and invest that into... Uh, into um, promotions and then at that point in time you're using money earned not money saved so that's my best thing work on getting to know people and yeah so when you know the area once you know the area and you know all the stuff you've had your plan plan and game plan there's gonna be a lot of realtors that do the same thing as you and a person in scarborough isn't gonna come to uh, mississauga in general so get to know other agents other agents in other areas that don't work your area Try to uh, cross-promote with them. Not necessarily that you promote on the same page, same thing, but you get somebody going to Scarborough, you make that agreement to pass it to them. They get somebody coming to Mississauga, they make the agreement passing it to you. 50% of my business is agent-to-agent referrals. I'm getting people who are downtown and won't go to Grimsby, Hamilton, or Halton because they're downtown, so they refer it to me and vice versa. So that's an easy way to do it, right? So when you get to know every agent, because it's more than just knowing customers, knowing agents too, they'll know who to recommend. You want to build what uh, my coach would call mindshare, which is every time they think of an area, they think of you. I mean, I got some uh, ROP signature people uh, watching this as I can see it. And what, a, you know, a lot of times they mention Hamilton and they, and they right away, my name comes up. I noticed that. Why? Because I built mindshare. I built mindshare in that, in that area. I live close to that area. So, and, that, and that's how you do it. Nothing is overnight. Don't expect to uh, put out a flyer, put out a social media thing, and then wake up tomorrow morning. There it is. But get to know people. Work with agent, with other agents, and work in terms of uh, collaboration. You're not going to be able to please everybody. You're not going to be able to refer everything to everybody, and not everybody's going to refer to you. But you're just trying to find your top, uh, you know, top group of circle or inner circle, as you're saying, that you work with each other and help each other out. Um, I think Jerry James said the top 100 right? You want to have people like, I won't refer anything to anybody who hasn't uh, helped me out in any way or shape or form. And if it's somebody like somebody I know where, you know, refer goes out and uses another agent in uh, Hamilton as an example, then says, Oh, send me business. I'm not going to do it. Right. That's just a general thing. I mean, I can pretend and lovey dovey, whatever, but I'm a, I'm a realist as you can see. And I have no shame in my being real because I'm being true to me. Some people will hate me for a good. doesn't matter. Right, because I'm not doing things to please people because you can't. The more you spend time trying to please everybody, the more you're going to please nobody. So you got to be true to you and who you are. And I wouldn't say stay in your lane because staying in your lane gets you nowhere. Go in every lane, any lane that'll close, doesn't matter. Just do what you need to do. Just meet people, talk to people, network with people. I, again, those who support you, and it doesn't mean they have to buy from you. Even if they send people your way, they're showing support. You're doing an event. They come and they support your event. They show up with their event. They bring their friends. That's supporting you, even if they haven't bought from you. That doesn't matter. It's just you don't want some, to want to refer somebody who in front of you talks to you and says you're, they're your buddy. Then when somebody turns around and says, who should I use? They go and call somebody else. You want to support those who support you. But here's the key thing, which is partially contradictory to what I just said. People by default are not going to refer you just because you said, I'm a realtor and I'm here. You got to give to get. Remember, the more you give, the more you get. 
Where I'm going with the top 100 is if you've given your all to somebody and they turn your back, then you turn your back. That's what I'm trying to say. Not a personal thing. You just do what you got to do. Meet as many people as you can and decide what your business is. Now, you may be, if you're good at condos, focus on condos, specialize in it, promote it. Doesn't mean you won't do uh, single family homes, but at the same time, you got to uh, be known for something. And the more you're known for something, the more people think of you. Again, it goes back to what I said, mindshare. I think I got it. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks very much. So yeah, so then once you're building mindshare, then people think of you. They remember you. And when they remember you, and, and once they remember you, they always think of you, and then they keep calling you. This... This business isn't something that builds overnight. It's going to be something that's going to build over time. Most people in their first year do not do more than one or two transactions. Most people. There's always exceptions to every rule, right? So most people don't do that. Second year, you'd be lucky if you got three or four. So I'm uh, six years in. My biggest year was my fifth year, 15 deals. This year, this year, my gross will probably be a little bit higher, but I have a little less deals. But then again, I'm expecting a blitz in the next month or two. So that might change. So that being said, you never know. You just never know. Like as long as you're consistent, people will get to know you. And as they get to know you, it builds. Don't give up. That's the main thing. Never give up. Just keep busting, but being consistent, being out there. Find what works for you and keep doing it. Again, I just said, mine's agent to agent referral. I spend most of my time entertaining other agents, the ones that refer me. So I'm actually going to lunch with one on Tuesday. My best referrer, my biggest referral is the one I'm going to lunch with on Tuesday. So there you go. Like I'm going to, yeah, that, 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 that's how I do it. I'm trying to build on that, obviously. Now, agent, there's only so many agents that are going to refer. So, you know, that can't be everything for everybody but you got to get your name out there. Again, find your pattern. If you're going to door knock, door knock three times a week minimum, every week, no exceptions. It snows, wear boots, wear a hat, wear gloves. Um, I don't believe in scripts, but everybody's different. But look, right now, I don't have any notes. If I show you my computer, there isn't any notes. So it's not like I'm reading this uh, to you and stuff. It's in my head. So I'm not a type of person who can memorize scripts and saying, you know, do you know what your house is worth? I'm in the area. I'm not that guy. I can't do it. So you got to come up with work. What works for you? Figure out how do you help people? You can figure out how to help people and get involved in the community. You got it made. So we're 43 minutes in there. I'm going to see, is there any more, um, any more comments? Yep. Uh, Facebook. No. Twitter, not Twitter. Ah, I'm live here. Three people watch on oh, YouTube, which is great. No comments there. Now let's look at LinkedIn. No. Okay. So I've answered all those questions. It looks like uh, I've answered all the questions so far. This is going to be my first. It won't be my last. I just want to say thank you very, very much. I'm very humbled and I'm very... Uh, happy to see those who have supported me. Thanks again. And uh, never feel uh, hesitant to reach out if you do have questions and you need answers right away. Best way to do it is just to call me 647-619-2582. You need answers? Um, I'll be there. Thanks a lot. Talk soon.